another episode of Tactical Edge. I'm Siobhan Cleveland, 4th Air Force Public Affairs. On today's show, Air Force Strategic Guidance, Emerging Threats, and Readiness and Training. And here for the discussion today is the Commander of 4th Air Force, Major General Jeffrey Pennington. Sir, good to have you back. Hey, thanks Siobhan. It's great to be uh, back on the air with our listeners. It's been a while. Lots lots of stuff going on. We have a lot of topics today. So um, let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start with strategic guidance. Can you give us a little bit of background on what that looks like? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of airmen are probably not reviewing most of the strategic guidance uh, on a regular basis. But uh, one of the things that we need to make a difference in in our airmen is this strategic guidance matters. And as I unfold today's topic, they'll see how important it is that they uh, take time to read some of that guidance that's out there. For example, there was just released a new national defense strategy. It's the first time we've had an update in about four years. That's much more aligned to the global environment in which we're operating in today, uh, in particular with a lot of the activities going around um, uh, various uh, combatant commands. Also, we've seen the Secretary of the Air Force, Secretary Kendall, creating a sense of urgency within the Air Force to be adaptable uh, in technology and our ability to shift to warfighting posture uh, from the different things we've done. Uh, we've had uh, General Brown's guidance now on accelerate, change, or lose. And I was talking with the wing commander who recently interviewed uh, someone for a key position in the wing that had not yet read that guidance. So we're taking a few minutes today to say, get in there. That's the chief of staff of the Air Force giving every airman direction on, on how to improve and get us more ready. And then, of course, too, we have uh, General Scobie and Chief White's guidance on the three priorities for Air Force Reserve Command, which simply are uh, readiness, resiliency, and, and reform, and reforming the organization. So all of our listeners should be familiar with those topics, should be part of their uh, daily conversation participation as they go through their journey. Okay. Well, you mentioned the Secretary of the Air Force's uh, guidance. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. I think it was back in uh, March, Secretary Kendall didn't address where he defined what his biggest priority is and where he is most focused. And he had a very simple answer. He said, China, China, China which means, along with our topics of emerging threats, we have a potential adversary that's much more capable than they've been in the past. This presents dynamic challenges uh, for protecting and aligning our interests uh, that demand every airman's attention. Now, he goes on to expand on seven operational priorities. And I did an earlier podcast with uh, Lieutenant General Highnote uh, from the uh, Pentagon staff, and he talked about these operational uh, imperatives. And just recapping those, the first one, uh, working on space order, battle, and architecture, uh, achieving operationally optimized uh, air battle or advanced battle management systems, or ABMS, uh, in the Air Force Joint All-Domain uh, Command and Control, of which our forces are an integral part, and we have modular platforms now uh, on our weapon systems that can deliver some of that capability as a redundancy node. If you remember back all the way to our first podcast on what the tactical edge is and providing uh, uh, redundant comm nodes in the battle space. Number three, the, the defining next generational uh, air dominance uh, systems or NGAD, achieving move and target uh, engagement to scale. And number five, important one to us, defining optimized resilient basing, sustainment, and communications in a contested environment. This was the topic General High Note and I talked about, and we defined that really under the header 
of uh, logistics under attack or what war fighting looks like in our environment uh, of the future. Number six is B-21 long-range strike family of systems. And then number seven, right in our wheelhouse again, with the readiness of the Department of the Air Force transition to wartime posture against a peer competitor. So those are the operational imperatives as outlined by the Secretary, very relevant to our mission sets and rapid global mobility and our aircraft and their daily missions. So something our airmen need to be familiar with. Okay. All right, so just shifting gears just a little bit, sir. I know there's a lot of real-world situations going on right now. Emerging threats. Um, Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. For example, as I I quoted uh, Secretary Kendall and his priority of China, 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 and we also talked about some of the capabilities briefly uh, of China growing its force significantly, Uh, not just its uh, base force, but its ability to do more long-range strikes. So a more competent Navy, both in surface and subsurface, uh, increasing its capacity as an air force to deliver um, air-to-air attack, air-to-ground attack, uh, long-range missile attack. All of those things present challenges for any adversary. So we need to be able to respond to those and do things differently than we have in the past. For example, uh, we have been uh, engaged in combat operations over in Southwest Asia for decades uh, under the heading really of counterinsurgency operations or COIN uh, to kind of scale it down and make it simple. The new threat in the future is not going to let us operate the way that we have been. We can expect disrupted comms or degraded comms. That's logistics under attack. If we can't communicate, they're attacking our communication nodes. Um, We would have to assume a future adversary would not let us just simply operate a forward base at the time and place of our choosing without contesting that. And And this is not novel things to think about. You know, some analogies some of our listeners might relate to is in uh, the mixed martial art arena, for example. If somebody come along with a new technique or new skill not seen before, they can dominate pretty quickly for a period of time. For example, I remember a friend of mine who was training in uh, uh, the Gracie style of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and they were winning and winning and winning. And then over time, fighters adapt and find a counter to that. Or if you're a football fan, you might see the wide open spread offenses or the hurry up offense, and they dominate for a while, but then defenses figure out how to respond. Or some of our Midwest listeners might be a Chiefs fan, where you know the the Holmes connection to to uh, Kelsey and uh, whoever the fast guy they got that they just traded to Miami, right? Teams learned how to respond to that and pressure that, so he didn't give them all day to throw and pick those targets, right? So any adversary in any arena is going to study your effective methodology and come up with counters to that. And so what we need to do as a force is be dynamically uh, capable to employ, alluding to one of the future questions you're gonna ask me about terms. People might hear dynamic force employment or DFE. And that is how do we, in an agile way, leverage our capability that's uh, strategically uh, predictable, but maybe operationally unpredictable as former Secretary uh, Dunford, I think, uh, came up with that idea. So there's an expansion on on that topic a little bit. Okay, so terms. We were just talking about it. Many airmen may not be familiar with uh, with some of these terms. Can you explain a little bit? Sure. Uh, Our airmen, our listeners are probably hearing a term uh, called uh, Air Force Force Generation or AF4Gen. And what that means is the Air Force is trying to align in a simple way presentation and availability of forces to geographic combatant commanders, or GCCs, uh, similar to the way the other service components have done it. This might not be an exact analogy, but for example, when the Navy looks at capability, they commonly refer to a carrier strike group, Marines maybe a MAGTAF or a Marine Air Ground Task Force. 
the Army, a uh, Brigade Combat Team, or BCT, and, and, and the joint world knows what those capabilities are. The Air Force has been a little more nuanced and has not commonly presented large-scale forces in an easily identified way. So what the Air Force Force Gen model in an oversimplified version is trying to do is just say, hey, look, these forces are ready, right? These forces are resetting or preparing to be ready. So it's a cycle that flows. And for most airmen, that will be determined for them on, on a scale at the MAGCOM level where we cycle through forces through these ready and reset phases. A couple other terms they might hear, um, I mentioned uh, dynamic force employment, they might hear uh, agile combat employment, uh, again talking about that agility and flexibility of response capabilities. Uh, they might also hear the term multi-capable airmen, and that's just simply, hey, if we're looking at being in a contested domain, maybe you're delivering personnel to a location that hasn't arrived yet. So those airmen that are there are going to have to execute skills that might not be in their wheelhouse. For example, I might not know how to do uh, surgery, uh, but I could help stabilize a patient if asked, if I know the basics. Um, a med tech might not know how to do an oil change or fix a transmission, uh, but I might be able to teach them the basics of operating some vehicles in there. So there's going to be a handful of small select uh, airmen that have a, have a skill package to which they're going to be trained to, but that will not be most airmen. For most airmen, uh, multi-capable airmen means, hey, being ready to assist uh, without a formal training table of new requirements. There will be some of that, but for most airmen, most likely not. So there's a couple of terms that our, our listeners are probably hearing that they might want to know a little more about. All right. Um, so let's move on to the last topic, readiness and training. Uh, specifically, sir, I've heard you talk about readiness planning. Can you expand on that a little bit about what you mean by that? Yes, thanks for asking, uh, Siobhan. What we're finding is that um, with limited fiscal resources and using our money, you know, exactly to the dollar, right, balancing the books, we've got to get better at optimizing the training that we do to deliver the maximum amount of readiness that we can. One of those ways we do that is through exercise planning. And those really happen on, on three different scales. There's the global engagement uh, through the joint staff, which is important. We work with allies and partners. We work with other service components, uh, other DOD or maybe even non-government agencies to do operations uh, and exercises on a global scale. One, to show partnership with a, uh, maybe in a bilateral agreement, um, but it's also done so that we can learn how to communicate with others that have different systems than us, different cultures, different uh, approaches to things. And it's very important that the Air Force Reserve Command patch be in those organizations. One, to make sure our force is capable, but also to demonstrate to those other uh, theaters what our capabilities and specialties are that we bring to the fight. So that's kind of on a, on a global and joint scale. The next level would be more at a MAGCOM level scale. And those are things that AFRC does as a MAGCOM as a lead. A couple examples might be Global Medic or Patriot Warrior. Uh, most of us are familiar with those exercises headed up by Reserve Command. They're joint exercises, though. For example, Patriot Warrior is typically done with an Army unit at an Army location. Uh, one of the things we do for medical readiness training there is receive patients from a MASH unit, hand them off to uh, an aeromedical staging squadron, which stabilizes that patient, gets them ready for air, air travel. 
They'll hand them off to an aeromedical evacuation squadron or a, an AES that takes them in flight. So, so Patriot War is an example of a MAGCOM level exercise. So we've covered two, global and joint. We've covered MAGCOM. And then the third one where most of our listeners will be engaged is at the wing level. And the wing level exercises really, in my mind, come at three different levels as well. One, they ensure they participate at the, the two above that I just mentioned, but they can also do wing-to-wing planning and executing of exercises. Great example of this is last year, uh, three or four of our units put together a big exercise called Nexus Dawn, where we collaborated and brought resources to uh, a base and uh, stood up the base and employed the forces. And a lot of folks, it's the first time they'd been anywhere. Uh, in collaboration with 22nd Air Force, which has done a great job of putting their their rally exercise events together. Uh, we ran into some funding issues last year, but that's where we're working with other wings within our MAGCOM to plan exercises. Then there's the traditional wing exercise plan that exercises that wing's internal mobility machine uh, to get airmen generated and out the door. So that's where the wing is synchronizing um, uh, tasking orders, using their uh, installation deployment officers and logisticians uh, to take the task, break that into uh, what equipment they need, build chocks to get on an aircraft, do mobility processing lines where people are checking the records, making sure they've got the requirements for that particular AOR, getting them through a processing line and onto an aircraft and out the door. And those are common wing exercises. Then the third level is all the way down to the squadron, which this is where it can vary widely and this is a big target of where we're going to be emphasizing over the next 60 and 90 days on, on training. And I should say that uh, the senior leadership in Air Force Reserve Command has been collaborating with our functionals, our uh, subject matter experts, um, the long-range planners to do training exercises in highly contested environments. And they're building modular exercise planning um, uh, tools for organizations to, to pick from, like, like a... Um, a restaurant menu. Hey, if we want to work on this particular skill set, here's some modules we can pick from that have the outline of the exercises already built, and we can just fill fill in our particular mission essential task lists or medals, desired learning objectives or DLOs into those things with our local IGI and WIT teams, and uh, and there's a lot of great tools to leverage out there. So that's that's what I mean when I'm talking about readiness and exercise planning that needs to shift to those things I mentioned up front that align to the strategic action, emerging threats, and other theaters that we haven't been operating in as much over the last couple of decades. Important topic, sir, and thank you so much for explaining and going a little bit more into depth about it. So one of the ways, you know, we get this information out to our to our uh, our airmen is the podcast, of course. But I know you have a busy schedule, sir. Can you talk a little bit about some of the opportunities, other opportunities that uh, are available for you to get this information out? Yeah, there's a number of ways we we try to communicate this. You know, the podcast is, is great, and I, I, ideally our listeners are are mesmerized and pass this link on to uh, their wingmen and uh, and double our listener rate. Uh, and we do it through unit visits. You know, Chief V and I are in, in lockstep together on this messaging when we go to unit visits. Uh, but it takes us, you know, 18 months to get to all the different units. Um, so we also host conferences. We did the 4th Air Force Senior Leader Conference this last uh, uh, winter, I guess, in February, where we got the, uh, the command teams, the wing commander, the command chief, and, and the group commanders. We got here, really wanted to bring the squadron commanders, but budget-wise, we just couldn't get that executed. 
Um, so one of the things we're doing uh, over the summer are what I'm calling regional squadron commander events. We've got a great training program at the Professional Development Center at headquarters where a team worked and built a really good, solid squadron commander course. But it does a lot of things, talks about uh, uh, financial tools, administrative things, uh, JA topics, in addition to readiness. So we're doing these regional squadron commander uh, events because we couldn't get them here uh, at our big event. So we're going to spend a half day focusing on classified briefs that increase the sense of urgency and awareness of our leaders at the unit level about why and how to shift their focus to be ready for the future fight. Uh, There's three events coming up. Uh, One uh, coming up right away here in early June. There's one in late June. There's one mid-July. Your unit leadership uh, knows when those are. So if you're a squadron commander, dial in. If you're a a senior art or director of operations or second in command of a squadron, you're a target audience. But also maybe if you're a senior enlisted leader, maybe at the group or even the squadron level, uh, ideally we have room for you. We've got room for, you know, 35 to 50 folks at each one of these events. So that's one way to do it. Uh, the other thing we're doing is we're, we're spending time with the IGI and WITS, are the primary target audience, uh, at events we're calling Warrior Ethos Training, right? Uh, one of those is going to happen at Grissom at their training facility, one at Dogpatch up at Westover, where we're going to get out in the field. We're going to talk about some of these briefs, uh, similar to the squadron commander events, where we'll, we'll do the briefs, we'll step the sage, then we'll get out there, get hands-on application of how to do these things, how to think on your feet get hit with some uncertainty, and how you get resilient leaders to respond, take responsibility, and engage. Um, so so those are the two ways, or three ways, I guess, uh, Siobhan, that we're doing that. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been a great discussion. I'm glad to see you again. I know you've been out and, you know, out doing what you do. Um, <laughs> but um, is there anything else, any last words that you'd like to share before we sign off here for this episode? Sure. Hey, team, you you are amazing, amazing people. You know, Chief V and I, you know, when we sit down and we think about the airmen and, and what it takes to serve and the sacrifices you made, it is so difficult. It's difficult because we don't have uh, systems and software and applications that, that move as quickly as we'd like to give you a micro-touch experience on your participation and pay and travel and those things, and those are annoyances. Um, but, you know, with Memorial Day around the corner, and it's a time to reflect back and just say, hey, thank you to all those service members that have gone before us and, and paid the ultimate sacrifice. We, the, we that are still serving should use that as a, as a springboard to think about and honor their sacrifice by overcoming these obstacles and barriers and realizing that serving is never convenient. That's why people walk around, when you walk around, people say, hey, thank you for your service. It's because it's inconvenient. Uh, in many cases, we can never pay you what you're worth, uh, but you do it anyway. And uh, you are the folks that keep the enemy at bay. And I'm telling you, Siobhan, it is just so humbling. It's such a, an overwhelming uh, sense of appreciation for what everybody does to, to serve and keep wearing the uniform, despite all the inconveniences, despite the things going on at home. So from Chief V and I, we just want to wrap up by saying, hey, love you and appreciate your team big time. Thanks for all you do. And and stay on the trail. We need you. Thank you, sir. And that's our show for today. Remember, you can catch up on all previous episodes of Tactical Edge on Apple and Spotify. And don't forget to follow us for the latest and greatest from the fourth. Until next time, thanks for listening.